0: Uh, chapter 6 has been sort of this ongoing interaction that Jesus has been having with a crowd uh, of people. And he. Uh, it says that they initially, at the beginning, that they followed him because they saw that he was uh, doing uh, miraculous things for people that were in a place of weakness. So in other words, there was some sort of evaluation and seeing that the situation with this person put them in a place of weakness as compared to the crowd in general, you might say. And so that might just be a perceived thing. But whatever the case is, they perceived or felt like there was a difference that maybe they didn't feel like they were powerful, but they at least saw that this person was in a place of comparative weakness to them. And when they saw God doing miraculous things to take care of this person they saw that as a sign of something or they were looking to that as a sign of something but but the what they thought it to be a sign of ended up being something very different than what Jesus was trying to tell them or what God was trying to tell them it was a sign of in other words what they Took it to mean, as it says a little bit later on in the story, that they tried to take Jesus by force and make him king. So that tells you. And then Jesus leaves and goes off by himself. He doesn't participate in that. So, so there's this thing going on with the crowd where they're following Jesus, where they're looking for God to be in their life. They are looking at things that are happening and they are seeing God doing some things. And they do see that there's some sort of dynamic that's happening where God is coming to the rescue of people or us in our state of weakness. But there's some sort of disconnect that's going on in what they're thinking is happening or what their hope is fixed on and what Jesus is trying to get them to have their hope fixed on. And the the situation is one where they're feeling like they're trying to force something, but God's not really complying. Uh, they're feeling like something needs to happen. And they, they feel like there's a sense that it's starting to happen, some sort of indication of it starting to happen, but there's also this sense of frustration that it's not happening and it's starting to feel, their hope is starting to feel a little forced. And they might even feel like Jesus is sort of abandoning, that God feels sort of a distance that's happening. Between them, And they just keep pressing forward and just keep searching for Jesus, and there's that persistence in pushing forward, but it's starting to feel a little forced and starting to feel like the closeness or what was happening, there's some distance that's there, and that happens a lot with us. And it doesn't just happen with God, it happens in every relationship that we have with everyone that we have it. And we can kind of tell that the root of it is that we feel like we're forcing something on but we but the problem isn't that we see that and we feel like that sense of force on people or on God or on Jesus is justified it's that there's something righteous about it almost. One of the most damaging things that we do to relationships are we try and force people to be something that they're not. That's what they were doing to Jesus. Forcing him to be something and to to say something, to be a representation of something that he's saying, I'm not. And we do that with other people. And a lot of times when we're forcing that, uh, we're really not looking at the person, we're looking past the person. We're really not noticing anything or taking into account anything unique, we've just sort of crammed them into some sort of generalized solution or generalized way that we think things need to happen and then we justify it by saying things like, well I just care about this person, I just want what's best for this person, but when we say we want what's best for this person, we're cramming wanting what's best for this person into some sort of preordained life that we think they need to live or a way that they need to approach a situation or, or a way that they, we think they need to address or a way that decisions that they need to make. And we're just forcing ourselves uh, onto them uh, under the guise of saying, I, I just care. About them in other words we 're sending mixed messages to people, and, and jesus isn 't doing that, but there 's definitely some confusion that 's going on now, now part of the confusion that 's going on is you can see in them wanting Jesus to become a their king and if you look at that in general that 's something that the the church or followers of God have always It's a a a mistake or a misunderstanding of God that has always been the case and continues to be the case, even in this exact form of that. In generalization, it happens in our life all the time, but this exact way that it's happening happens where they're saying there needs to be some sort of change, external change in the governing forces around us in order for us to have what it is that we really want. And the church has always fallen prey, and groups and crowds of people that are there to represent Jesus and represent God have always stumbled over that in feeling that even in the form that there has to be some sort of change in government, some sort of change in laws, some sort of governing force in the world change in order for us to be able to have the peace and contentment that we really want. But, but even if you break that down to an even further uh, simplification of it, it's just this overriding feeling that in order for me to get to the place that I want, there needs to be some sort of external change that will facilitate that. And so it would be like an example of, you know, you might say, come to God and just say, man, I, I just I really need this job. You know, if, the, if I can have this job, I just really need this job. It's not so much that we're saying, I need this job. What we're saying is, is if I can have this job, I feel like I'll be happy. If I can have this job, I think I'll be content. If I have this job, I, I feel like I'll be doing something of importance. I'll have a sense of, of purpose in life. If I have this job, I'll, I'll, I'll feel accomplished. And sometimes we focus on, I'll feel like, if I get this, then I'll feel like I've risen above where I've grown or I've accomplished something. And, and really what we're sort of getting at there is, I, I will... Feel special, you might say. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to feel special. But the way we're all caught up in thinking about it is we're thinking that this job is going to get us there. That there's going to be some... And that's just an example. It's not... not it's just, it's just that, that some sort of external change is going to... Is required... In order for me to feel content. Some sort of extra, I just need another thousand dollars in order for me to feel, to, to feel happy. Or, or I just need a, a constant place to live in order to feel happy. That we just feel like some sort of, and there's a million different ways that it happens, but we always feel like it's this persistence in feeling that where I want to go and what I want to feel, which is actually a feeling of our heart, right? Contentment is a feeling in our heart. Feeling good about yourself is something in your heart. Feeling special is something in your heart. Feeling loved is something, you know, all these things are that there's some sort of condition of my heart, and in order to get to whatever it is, however it is, I we don't even know what that is, but there's something in my heart that's causing me to feel not content, and in order to feel content, or to feel loved, or to feel special, or whatever, however it is you want to say it, in order to have that condition of my heart... It requires some sort of external change in order to happen. And so we focus on that external change. But what we're really wanting is something that's changed in our heart. And what God, Jesus, is constantly saying, he's saying, that's not true. It's not that I'm not going to give you what it is that you want. You want some food, I'm going to give you some food. (laughs) He gives them food. But the disconnect that he's getting at is them trying to help them see that what it is that they really want isn't necessarily the external change. We've just tied it to that. And what he's trying to help them understand with the miracles are, that whatever external change we think is required for us to get to where it is that we... God is not limited by that. He's not... He doesn't have to abide by any external change requirement. He doesn't have to have it be a certain way in order to accomplish what it is. He is addressing what it is that we're asking for, but he's not just addressing the specific way that we think it has to work out. He'll do that sometimes, but he's trying to get us to to see something different. And that's what he's getting at here with the message of Jesus, uh, which is the gospel. And here's where Jesus starts to explain it. He says, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. So you're laboring, you're pressuring, you're looking. But he says, Not because you saw the, this is miraculous signs, it's actually just not because you saw signs or markings of something, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, you were hungry and then you felt a sensation of hunger or felt need and then you felt that need being met. But he says the missing part is that you really weren't looking for that as a sign of anything. <laughs> now, what's he getting at there? Let's just go back to the example of the job since I started that. You're asking for this job. You feel like the job's going to give you contentment. You get the job. He's saying, so you keep coming back to God because he gave you the job. But he says, what's missing is is you should look and see what is God giving you, you asking and God giving you that job, that's a sign of something. <laughs> that means something. Beyond just, oh, I'm going to be happy if I get this job. It's a sign of the fact that God loves you and God cares about you <laughs> and God heard you, heard your heart and did something for you And he was able to do that. In other words, he says, what we really want is tied to what these little external changes, what they are a sign of, not necessarily what the external change is providing. See what I'm saying with that? He's saying, it's not that the job provided you with contentment. He goes on to say, Do not work for food that spoils or things that die or go away, but for food that endures or lasts or waits for eternal life. uh, That's your whole span of life from from this point on, from pre-existing this point on all the way through, which the Son of Man will give to you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. What he's saying is the reason why we're just always feeling hungry and, and always finding ourselves in this place of feeling like we're just pushing and pressing against something and laboring towards something and just always feeling a little discontent. He says we keep thinking that we just need some sort of more external change. We need more external change. We need more of this to happen again. And, and what he's saying is, is that's not the problem. The problem is, is that you're not looking at what's already been happening and asking yourself, what is that a sign of? <laughs> that the things that God has already done in your life is a sign that God loves you and cares about you and, and thinks that you're special and, and you know, has a love towards you and is willing to intervene in your life to take care of you, that if you were to see what that's a sign of, that's where you're going to find the consistency <laughs> that you're looking for. That what we need is a change in our heart, not an external change. We need a change in our heart, and that change in our heart, it doesn't come from external changes. It only comes from external changes insofar as that external change is an indicator of something else. And these external changes, by the nature of what they are, they always fade they always die. You're always hungry the next day. If, I, I love Karen ever since I've met her for whatever stupid reason. I guess because when I met her, I was a gardener. Okay. So flowers were free for me. I chopped down all the flowers <laughs> everywhere. A- anyways, the funny thing about giving flowers are is that flowers always die especially when you go to the trouble of cutting them down. If Karen is just happy because she loves flowers, then those flowers are going to die. You know, it's not the, the joy or the contentment or what it is that's really going to make things great. Isn't her like seeing the flowers and enjoying the flowers? I don't even know that she actually enjoys. That. I don't, she probably does now. Um, it's what the flowers represent, right? It's the flower, the, the power of me cutting down some flowers, which now I feel bad about because I'm talking about that, but let's just avoid all that thought. And it, the power of it isn't in the giving of a flower. It's in so as that flower represents me giving her my love, And if she just gets joy out of the flower and doesn't see any connection to me loving her, it's kind of a, the whole thing's just a waste. It's in her seeing it as an expression of my love. And when she sees that, then that hopefully makes some sort of difference. And the flower fades, the flower dies, and then I give some more flowers it's like this continuous giving and it 's not just flowers. OK that's stupid. I do other things too. I can't really call to mind what other things I do, but whatever, I, I do some other things from time to time that are better than giving flowers. But whatever I do, the benefit of what I do is only a benefit in reality, insofar as it is expression of some sort of love that I have for her, if it's not connected to that, then it's almost cruelty what's being done. That's what makes it real. That's what makes it good. And that's what God's trying to say to us is, you know, quit looking at all the things that I do. And then you keep thinking like, unless this flower lives forever, unless this flower never fades. I, I remember Karen used to take the flowers and like dry them out to make them last longer, which is kind of weird too. It's like they don't, like, even then we don't have any. It doesn't need to last in order for it to be important. The flower doesn't need to last forever. The expression lasts Forever. If God gave you a job, that job doesn't have to last forever. The expression of that job has already been given, and the expression of that in the past continues forward. It's eternal. It's an eternal expression insofar as we recognize it as a sign of something. What it is a sign of is a statement of something that is meant to be an eternal thing. So he says, the problem is, oftentimes... When we're just exasperating, we feel like we're pressing things. One, one is we're probably pressing for something to be something, for our salvation, for our, our happiness to be set on something that is just dying. And God doesn't, he's saying, I, I, I don't, it's not in your best interest. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to do this for you. But, but don't rest your hope on this. Rest your hope on what it is a sign of that I love you and I care about you and my statement of love and care doesn't need to be tied to anything kind of real, lasting change that happens in the world. Just the statement is good enough to make a difference in our heart. So he's saying that part of what Jesus is doing and what the gospel is doing and what the gospel is, because people define it as something different, is this, that recognizing that I, whatever changes need to happen, whatever things, you know, if my happiness, my contentment, whatever it is that I want is dependent on me accomplishing this kind of change or to make this happen, it's, there's a realization that something's broken there and that I'm not able to do it. That's what forgiveness for your sins is. It's realizing that if there was a dependence on something changing in the world, I'm recognizing that I'm always going to end up messing that up. And that I'm relying on God giving or whatever it is that I want is going to have to come even though I'm not able to contribute to it happening. That's the gospel. It's having this moment of realizing that My hope is that God will give, that God will come near, that whatever it is that I need, that God will give it in spite of the fact that I keep messing up on the basis of forgiveness. And so that when we come near to Jesus and we have that come to Jesus moment, it's really that moment as defined by the words of Jesus. It's coming to this moment that what's happening, job or whatever, I'm... Hinging this hope on this external justice. But God did it in such a way to make us realize that it happened as a gift, which it always happens as a gift. But it's this realization moment when you realize, oh, I don't know about everything else, but this happened as a gift. And it happened in spite of everything that I did. And he says, when you have that moment, he says, Instead of fixating on what it is that God did or he gave or on the flower, that's all going to fade. Fixate on or think in your heart and take joy and start thinking about what that's a sign of and what it's a sign of is God loves you and cares about you and values who you are. He says... Or they said to him, "What must we do to do the works God requires?" Now, what they're responding to him—it's a normal response. They're saying, "Okay, I get it—that it's you know, for instance, let's talk about the flower example. I give Karen a flower, and it's me saying I love her." And I get that it's not in the flower, obviously. It's in that expression of the love. But when they say, well, then what must I do to do the work? So what they're saying is, "Is okay, well, even though that is the case, there still needs to be something that Karen is going to do to be able to facilitate that love. You know, there there has to be some sort of thing that that we get it. God loves me. God's willing to forgive me. I, I get that, and his... He's demonstrating these different things are a gift, but there still needs to be something that I need to do. There has to be some sort of value that comes to me from God that that has something or some sort of change, some sort of way that I'm contributing to this. So what is that then? That's all they're saying is it's like, okay, I, I get that I've overstepped a little bit, and I get that I'm like, you know, focusing in on the wrong thing, but, but, but all I was trying to do, and I was doing it, you know, maybe imperfectly, is I'm just trying to get at, well, what then do I need to do? <laughs> you know, what role do I have to play in this? If we're talking about you loving me, me loving you, I get your role in loving me, but what do I have to do to contribute, to, to do my side uh, of this? Type of thing. That, that's a very natural question to ask, and here's how Jesus answers. He says, first of all, he talks about what the work of God is. Instead of they, they say, what must we do to do the work of God? Their emphasis is on what are they going to do to do the work of God? And Jesus answers that question by clarifying what the work of God is. And here's what he says: the work of God is this—to believe in the one. Whom he has sent. He says, Look, here, here's the, if you're talking about what must I do, and here's the only thing that God is doing with this it is just working things out so we'll just believe it. He says, They ask him then, What miraculous signs then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? He says, our ancestors, they say our ancestors ate manna in the desert and it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus gets to the root, he says, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who had given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What he says very clearly is, is that the only thing that's going on is us coming to believe, and the other word of belief and way of saying is trust that this is the case. In other words, God is doing things. He makes different external changes, not because that external change is required for him to provide something for us. It's the power of it is in him saying, what's it a sign of? It's a sign of, I love you. And then their question is, is, well, isn't that dependent in some fashion, shape, or form on us doing something? And he says, no, all God is doing is just expressing that. And the problem isn't that, isn't us rising up to the occasion. The problem is, is that we're having a hard time believing it, to be true. And what he says is he gives this title of himself, the, the son of man. And, and what he means by that is God saying what's happened is, they're saying, look, okay, God loves us, but doesn't his love have to in some way, shape, or form be at least in some way conditioned on us doing something? It can't possibly be completely unconditional. It has to. Things that are going on has to, in some way, be about us doing something. And he says, here's what's happening, me standing before you, what you're not understanding is that God has come down and been birthed by a human. <laughs> that, that's a, When you think about that for a second. It's like he's made himself the son of us. <laughs> you know, He's chosen that connection. In other words, God, as we are, loves us so much that at our weakest point, he's made ourselves connected and, and uh, subserving is the wrong word, but just put himself under <laughs> us in every way shape or form he came down and was in a manger didn't have a he says the son of man has no place to lay his head in other words he's here's what he's getting at what we want is something that's tied in our heart and it's a sense of i want to feel loved i want to feel special I want to have a, a real relationship with someone. No amount of external change is going to facilitate that if you're not looking at it as expressions of that love. So first you have to look at the flower represents something. It's not that the flower provides that. It's what it represents. But the problem is, is once you see what it represents, we're having a hard time the reason what we're pressing against is we're not fighting against God with anything or anyone else. We're fighting against our own heart to open up and trust. That's what the problem is. It's our heart is having a hard time trusting. And we're making it worse because we think that change in our heart is going to be facilitated by us rising up and doing something or contributing in some sort of way. And he's saying... That change that's going to happen in our heart doesn't happen with that. That rising up works against it. But that those moments of lowering down work towards that. What's he getting at there? If you take someone like, let's say LeBron James, I don't know, let's say he's not married or anything. LeBron James, who he is right now when he meets someone, how does he know that person loves him? It's difficult. Let's say Bill Gates. is an, Someone, some gal comes up to him and says, oh, hey, you know, starts talking to him and says, how, how does he know that she loves him? But when he was like a doopy, say, junior high freshman, sophomore, nothing out of her, had just dropped out of college and had nothing to his name, and someone came up and showed love to him and wanted to be with him and wanted to be around him. Which is an easier way in your heart to feel as though, oh, this person really does love me. When you're at your height of your greatness and everyone's there, and there is there ulterior motives? Is this or that going on? He's saying that change, that acceptance. The problem is we need to let go. We need to accept the fact that God really does love us. And we're mistaken in our thinking and we're working against that change in our heart every time we start talking about that being conditioned on something that we're going to do or some place that we're going to arrive to, because that's not at all what's happened. God has come all the way down to us at our lowest possible point, and he's making that statement there. And the reason why he's making that statement there is because that's the easiest place for our heart to open up and say, I guess you do love me. That's all those verses that say, if while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. At that lowest point, God demonstrated his love for us. And this is where he introduces the idea of a father. A father's love is in no way dependent on the accomplishments of their children. It's, I mean, that may not be the way things work in your family, but you know that's the way it should work. <laughs> So so I'm not saying this is the way it is. I'm saying the way you know it should be, would be that a father's love for their children is in absolutely no way preconditioned or conditioned on them accomplishing anything. And we send the wrong messages, but we know that's the way it, it should be. That real love cannot be conditioned like that, or it's not real. And what Jesus is saying is, look, this is why the gospel is so important and so life changing. It's not because it's going to make you into this awesome, wonderful, never sinning person, never messing up. I've now accomplished everything. It's not anything about that. It's this realization that while I was messing up, while I was at my, when I was contributing nothing, I had this realization that God loved me. And that he's taking care of me. And if we realize it in that setting, that's what softens our heart and and makes a change. And it's that softening of our heart to... What is changing is not that God didn't love you and now he does. God has always loved you. You just didn't see it before. And even when you didn't see it before, even when you did start seeing it, We just didn't accept it. The only thing that's happening that's changing isn't that God is loving us more or that God is accepting us more. The only thing that's changing or happening in this life insofar as any change that is actually happening, it's only happening insofar as our heart once seeing that God is loving us and the expressions of his love and our heart changing to accept it, to believe it that it's true. And that's what the work of God is. And to ask, well, what do we do to contribute to that? That just heads us our heart in the wrong direction. They take it to the next level. They say, sir, they said, always give us this bread. What they're saying is, it's like, well, there's got to be something, you know. Maybe it's just coming down to, I'm asking. You know, so I'm just going to ask. I'm asking here this one time. I'm always then, give us. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All whom the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me will never be driven away. For I have come down from heaven to do the will, to do my will. I've not come down from heaven to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that none of those whom he has given me will be lost, but will be raised up in the last day. He's saying, the love of the Father that he's trying to get us to understand is in no way, shape, or form subject to any condition other than us just simply believing it. In other words, I can love Karen all I want and do every expression that I possibly can. And even though I send mixed messages and I don't do it in a perfect way, if I was to do it in a perfect way, it would the only condition would be then her believing it. <laughs> because I might do it and she just doesn't believe it. For a lot of different reasons, she might not believe it, and a lot of them might be very justified in being guarded or a past herder or this or that. But, but whatever the case is, the only condition would be her accepting it, unless I was making mistakes, which I do make mistakes, but with God, that's not the case. He's saying that the determining factor, or what makes it last has nothing to do with us doing something, has nothing to do with us asking God for anything. It already is the case and the only thing that's determined is whether God is willing for it to last and Jesus is saying that's what the will of the Father is and that's the way it is with me that any who accept it none will be lost. In other words, it will never end. And that's What's important about the gospel when we see that we need, you say we need forgiveness for our sins. It's not to like relegate you as being worse than someone else or it sounds even weird to say worse than God. Of course God is better than us. It's just this moment of realizing that the love that's coming down to us is coming down to us at our lowest point. We don't even realize what that lowest point is, but we just have some sort of semblance of a low point. And the love is coming in spite of that being low. And what that's meant to help us understand is that there is no condition. Because if there was a condition, if there was a condition to God's love, that condition would have been broken already and we'd already be dead. Just by the fact that we're breathing, the sign of us breathing and even living things means that, Whatever condition there was, if it was really a condition, we wouldn't be breathing right now. <laughs> Just by the fact that we're breathing, it shows that God's love isn't under some sort of condition that if we break something or don't achieve something or don't do something in the future. Because whatever we've messed up in, in the past will happen in the future. But his point in getting to them Is that that feeling that we have, that discontentment that we have, that pressure to feel like we're laboring towards something and we're never quite getting it, that thing of just always feeling a little bit hungry, always feeling discontent. He says that what we're searching for is something that's going to happen in the heart. It's something where we want to feel special, we want to feel loved, we want to feel like someone's looking at us with that. And that's coming to us as the love of like our our, our Father in heaven. It's not coming to us with any kind of condition. And that's a, a difficult thing to accept. But that's the work of God. That he's doing in our life right now, is giving us expression after expression after expression. And the expressions are there to soften our heart. And the only requirement that he's putting on us is to just simply believe that it's true. And as you see with the crowd, and as you see we'll get to in a second with his disciples, It's not even that he's fully asking you to completely agree. It's just to yourself have some sort of moment where you recognize that to some sort of degree, this message is true. And we grow into that. And it's just this, Jesus describes it as, it it could just be like a mustard seed. It could be this moment of realization that's just so, so small. But it grows into a tree and all the birds of the air find rest into it. In other words, he says, this is where you'll find rest. This is where you'll find contentment. Not in this charging forward to try and earn it. Not trying to make yourself something other than you are. That God sees who you are. He sees you as special. He loves you. And even though we mess up, it persists, and it doesn't abandon it. And as our heart recognizes that in the slightest, that's what Jesus and that's what God will build on. And that's what growing as a believer, growing in Jesus, growing as a Christian, whatever you want to say, that's all that is. Because that's all that the work of God is in this life. It is This is a moment when God is bringing our heart to that place of just believing that he loves us completely unconditionally. And he's giving us all the time that we need to come to that place. And there isn't anything else happening other than that. He says, well, I will return and I will make changes so that the world and everything else isn't sending a contradiction to that. But that's not required right now. You know, there'll be a day when I give you the flower and the flower will live forever. <laughs> you know, there'll be a day when the change that I make will last forever. But it's not necessary right now because it's all that I'm asking for is for you just in your heart to just see my expression of love that I give to you every day and just believe that I do. <laughs> just Believe it in the slightest little bit, just to come to some sort of moment in this life. That's the only thing God's looking for is just some sort of moment when we realize that He does love us. And it's through the forgiveness for our sins. It's it's not tied to us. It's unconditional. And he says that's enough. And if there's any growth that happens, it's growth in that if there's anything that needs it, that'll all happen later when he returns. It'll all come to perfection. Uh, We're going to pray, and we're going to take communion today. And uh, communion is really, he's instituted a tradition, and it's not for the sake of feeling righteous or instituting anything like that. It's for the sake of remembering this. Uh, Of just it sometimes requires us to. It's not to do anything. It's just to go back to that moment. (laughs) You know when you, when if we did have that moment, that realization, that small thing, growing in that, it's not something that we do. It's just keep going back to that. (laughs) That that's the only thing, and this is that moment of saying, I haven't. I just need to go back to that moment. Uh, of Him having given His life for me and the forgiveness that, that I felt in that moment, the realization of God's love being unconditional on me, that, that I'm going back to that and I'm saying I'm going to identify with that and that's who I'm going to be even though that's just a small speck of what's in my heart right now. It's a decision I'm saying. I'm going to go with that. And, and this is just a reminder of that. Uh, if we could all maybe stand and I'll... Dima, I can come back forward. Let me repeat the words that Jesus gave. And every time I do this, I just, I don't know, I just pause with the opening words to those things where he says, on the same night that he was betrayed. It doesn't get any more unconditional than on the eve of he knows he's about to be betrayed, he's saying this to the person, Peter, everybody that's there. On the same night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he had supped, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is given to you. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. I'll pray after I get done praying. Um, If you'd like to accept Jesus as your Savior, you can act that out by coming up and just taking communion. And if you'd like someone to pray with you, uh, there'll be some folks over here to pray with you. If you have any prayer requests after you come forward, or even before at any point during the rest of the service, you can come up and there'll be people to pray with you. Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, thank you so much for coming down and being with us, for forgiving us of our sins, for paying the price on the cross, for doing, giving your body and your blood so that we don't have to live under any conditions, that whatever conditions you've met, pray that you would open our heart to... Just see all the expressions of your love that we live in throughout the day. And as we lift more before you, we pray that you'll answer our prayers. But Lord, help us to open our eyes to see what this all means. And help us to see how unconditional your love is for us. And help us to live and to live in that. We lift this all up to you in your name, Jesus. Amen.